This week on Kettle of Fish, actor Helen Udy stops by to talk about musical clowns and bloody valentines. Welcome to our after show. We call Kettle of Fish the No Politics Laughter Show. It's time for Kettle of Fish. No debates, hate, or arguments allowed on Kettle of Fish. It's like a Willy Wonka psychedelic acid trip. So hooray for Kettle of Fish. Alrighty, guys, welcome to Kettle of Fish, the show after the show, the talk after the talk, where we chat with actors, comedians, artists, scientists, musicians, magicians, and models about life, love, and the creative process. I am your seafaring internet captain of the airways, Nick the Saucy One Cat Source, broadcasting to you live from the very top of Meth Mountain, Tennessee. And I also want to introduce my always clowning, never frowning, turn my heart upside downing <laughs> producer, the coal mining serial killer to my bloody Valentine, D Maven. <laughs> what is it? D just does things. What, what did you say earlier today? Just D. Just D today. Or D, just D, D these D, days. Just and D these days. <laughs> D these days. You're thinking too hard. Uh, no, that was really cute. I like that. Have you I, ever known me not to think too hard? No. I could overthink a fucking <laughs> Hot Pocket. You absolutely could. <laughs> I think you have before. Uh, no, it's all right. It's, uh, yes, a little later than usual today. Um, but, uh, yeah, everything's going to be cool. Everything's all chill. It's it's almost summer, man. It's nice. We like it. It is almost summer. If you noticed, I've given up. And that's why I kind of um, did the intro a little bit different today, where we used to say the non-politics show. I've just given up because we've never done an episode of anything and politics didn't somehow come into it. That is so true. So I give up. We're, we're, we are no longer putting that disclaimer on there. You've finally gotten wise. That's good. That's yes. Good. All right. Well, let's jump right in. Um, Dee, before we do that, why don't you give everybody the editorial notes of what we're doing this summer? Because we're kind of going off our regular schedule and doing some tin candid stuff. Yes. Instead of doing our normal kettle of fish, blah, 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 all the usual suspects, we are actually going to be doing intermittent uh, whenever we feel like it during the day shows. Uh, that are going to be our tin candid episodes. We're going to call on previous guests and friends and other hosts from the network, and we're just going to mess around and, you know, have a cool time and kick back. Now, we'll still be doing and... scheduled shows here and there. Yeah. Um, stuff I already had scheduled. I know we have Christine McCarthy and Darren Moff. I think I'm saying his name right, Malfa. He's a circus performer type person. And Hannah Rose Dexter is going to be on the music show next month. So we have a couple things scheduled, but because we travel so much in the summer, we're just going to kind of wing it and just do shows when we can do shows. Yeah, we do what we want. It's all good. Absolutely. All right, Dee, who do we have hanging on the line for us today? Uh, Today we have an actor who – it's one of those things I think – I think she's one of those people that you've probably seen her, um, but you didn't know it. But we have the super awesome Ellen Yudi. Ellen, how you doing? Good. Hey, thanks for having me on the show. Absolutely. And um, it's good to finally talk to you on air. I know we've had a lot of back and forth on the old Facebook. Yeah, that's true. Oh, gosh, you guys, this is poorly timed. My mom is coming in and I've got six dogs here. So expect some barking. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, we've got it over here too. We've got a little dog named Squirrel who goes insane anytime anybody even like gets off the couch and tries to walk downstairs. <laughs> He's a big little dog. What are you gonna do? All right. Well, let me set this up on how this became to be for the fans. So, what I usually do is if I see something comes across my feed, another actor, or performer, or musician that one of my friends like or they share their stuff, I'll reach out to them. And I had saw your stuff. I went through and checked it out. I saw so much cool, just the um, stuff you do with the clowning work, the theater stuff. I went and checked out your IMDb. But more importantly, after the fact, I was really kind of intrigued by some of the political and kind of social arguments and not even arguments, debates. Some of them turned into arguments you were having online. So I reached out to you. And I set this up, and one thing that I've kind of been mulling through my mind this whole time, because you are somebody who seems like such just a naturally kind-hearted person, um, a very light-hearted person, and the stuff (laughs) you perform, especially the light stuff, 
or the live stuff rather, that yeah. stuff is so upbeat and so yeah, fun. Really fun. Right. Yeah. And I just wonder in this political like furnace that we all live in now and all these interactions mm -hmm. we have online with people that a lot of times turn kind of hateful. How do you keep that balance and be of being like fresh on stage and leaving all that behind and all of like what we're just in, like embroiled in every day? Like, how do you keep things so upbeat when you're on stage knowing, hey, as soon as I get off stage and go on my Facebook, someone's probably going to be screaming in my face? <laughs> Well, I mean, there. gosh, you know, I just feel really lucky to have the life that I have. Um, and uh, I work at it because I am aware of my good fortune. So I, uh, I sort of compartmentalize. <laughs> That's what I do. <clears throat> I allow myself to be politically shocked and uh, pulverized for about an hour a day and <laughs> I turn my attention towards other things and and you know um it is it is a big question though it is a big question that I have just because Facebook connects me to people in Serbia connects me to all sorts of interesting people and I guess just because for whatever reason they do connect with me and then they you know and then I get a little window into their lives and it's quite it's quite interesting what Facebook has been able to do. And so it's really hard to rest easy, but you know, you're not going to do anything. Can't if I can't be actively involved, uh, which I plan to do, then there's only so much sort of online rhetoric. I can sort of manifest myself without it being kind of stupid. You know what I mean? So, I know exactly. So I don't what plan to go fight for the Palestinians I can just sort of <laughs> you know I can only I can only scream and yell so much and I don't like screaming and yelling to be honest with you I'd rather have a really fruitful discussion and learn something and change my opinion or change somebody else's opinion if if that's possible and get to the truth of a matter you know I don't really like the yelling part yeah, and I don't think any of us do, but I, something's occurred to me over the last couple of weeks, and I think that your page is an example of this, and so many I have so many actor, performer, musician friends, and I see this all the time. Um, there was a, I talked about this on the show earlier, too. There was a Washington Post reporter who went right after the election and talked to people in 100 different districts that were blue since Reagan, and Trump flipped them. And then he goes back like every 60 to 90 days, interview people and see how they feel about Trump now. And the one mm -hmm. constant thread in that and every other article I've read about trying to get into the mind of the Trump supporter is they mm -hmm. need a safe space. It's really what they're saying. They're like, look, I come home from work. I turn on TV and Saturday Night Live is making fun of me. Because if they're making fun of Trump, then they're making fun of them by extension, they feel. Right, I, right. You know, and I turn on the award show and they're speaking out against me. And I go on Facebook and my cousins are screaming at me and I can't escape it. And I noticed this magician friend that I have posted some political stuff. He hadn't said anything political since he, I've been on his page. And one of his friends were like, hey, why are you bringing this up now? I've never seen you speak political. And like I've heard so much over this past year or two, I just couldn't keep my mouth shut anymore. I had to say something. And I watched this friend list go from 5,000 people to like 4,500 in a day. And his comment threads were just exploding with people screaming libtard and all this horrible shit at him. And I realized yeah. the reason is not even because of the difference in opinion so much as they needed a safe space. They used to go to the magician's page to watch him juggle knives and do all this stuff. And now they have to yeah. see political opinions they feel are attacking him. And I think on some yeah. level they feel betrayed. So that's why they're always screaming, liberal Hollywood, leftist Hollywood, because yeah. I think they're just so like they're just so intolerant to other opinions. When they see someone in the public eye and they see you on screen, they're like, I grew up watching sure. her in horror movies. And then they go on yeah. and see that you have a totally different opinion. I think it's kind of a bummer to them and it just makes them very angry. Sure. I mean, I, I appreciate that, but you know, the thing is, is that, uh, uh, that's going to happen in life. You know, it's going to be uncomfortable. Life is, is full of discomforts like that, but I definitely do not want to be a person that turns a blind eye to things that I find important just because I'm going to lose some Facebook friends. It doesn't make sense to me. Um, you know, that's not why I became an actor. In fact, I became an actor in order to lend a voice to, 
uh, disenfranchised people. I spent my whole life playing hookers and delinquents, and that was for right. a reason. Um, you know, I just had um, a real empathy for people that uh, didn't have an opportunity to express themselves or were seen in a certain light. And so, you know, that's my motivation for everything that I do. So, you know, I just have to, uh, I sort of have a, a weird kind of faith that things are going to work out all right. Now it's naive, I know. And it may not be true, but I think you have to walk through life sort of, uh, just being really um, true to yourself mm-hmm. because it's all you've got in the end. And at least, you know, at the end of the day, I don't have to wonder what lie I told or, you know, whether I'm on terra firma or, you know, I just, I'm sort of living in a very clear way and I'm ready to stand by my beliefs and also apologize when I'm wrong. I think that's really important, you know. Amen. I like to be educated. Yeah. So if somebody brings 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 up something relevant, I think it's great. But for me, there's got to be a reason for life, even if it's just, uh, you know, so I can't, so I want not to ignore challenging things. I want to participate in being part of the solution. People say, you know, war is always going to be there. And I say, well, no, that's a state of mind. You know, so with everything, I really don't worry. In other, in other words, in other words, our thinking, our our belief that war should always exist is what continues to make war exist. So, you know, even if you're, if we're going to talk about the Israeli-Palestinian thing, just very briefly, I believe right. there's a solution there. You know, so just to say that much, I believe there's a solution. I believe in a solution. I believe in both parties coming together. I uh, can't live my life in hopelessness on any level regarding anything. And I can't be stopped by other people's opinion. And that is so true. And you said something about being naive, but I don't think it's naive. I think it goes to you have to hang on to that or you'll be changed. It's like the Batman line. You either die a hero or live long enough to see yourself become the villain. And I've been thinking back. Oh, that's a good Batman line. I'm going to steal that one. Yeah. (laughs) And I didn't really understand what it meant until all this stuff started happening. And I was like, you know, now I'm starting to be as intolerant towards the Trump people. And this is years of being beat up on by the right. But this this Trump thing right. took things to a whole new level. Like, yeah. it was always tense, but it has come out to, like, a Cold War at this point. And I was like, I can't allow myself to use the same tactics they do. I'm not going to go blow up a comment thread or start screaming in people's faces, even though sometimes no. I feel like that's the only language they actually understand. I'm not going to yeah. do that because I'm not going to let them rob me of me. So I don't think it's naive. That's I think right. it's what we have to do to stay productive, centered, balanced people. Or or if we all That's cross right. that line, then we're fucking through as a species. Yeah, I mean, what's the point of what's the point of living if it's not sort of to be self-expressed and to, you know? Uh, I don't know. That's kind of like a that's kind of like a Topanga Canyon term. What does self-expression mean? But to be ourselves, you know, what is the point of being alive unless you're unless you're alive to be yourself. And so that uh, means having the courage to take on all those things and, and live by your ideals, when, no matter what side you're on. And I'm sort of one of those people, when I was growing up, I'm going to date myself right now, Marlon Brando didn't accept the Academy Award because he wanted to put up for the Indians. And at the time, I was a child. I remember I mean, that. Really, yep. A young child. Yeah. And I, and, and sort of everybody was like, oh, you know, Marlon Brando shouldn't be doing that kind of stuff at the Academy Awards. It's inappropriate. And, you know, as a child, I was like, oh, it's inappropriate. Yes. And I was really, I really bought that, you know, I really bought that line. And recently I thought to myself, that is just a way to get people who have a platform that people might listen to, you know, people might hear the communication to shut them up. Fascism. That's all it ever is, is that strain of of fascism, of shut the F up. I see it all over the internet. You know, if you're not saying what I want to hear, then shut up. And I got to a point where my tactic now, when people come at me like that, I go, no, I refuse. Now what? You better shut up. No, I refuse. Now what? 
And then they'll say something like, not also will I not shut up. You have to understand you're powerless to shut me up. So how do you feel now <laughs> if you know you can't shut me up? It's not within your power unless you're going to fly to Tennessee, walk up and down the mountain looking for me and shoot me. You don't. <laughs> sometimes have I sometimes I actually worry that that's going to happen. Like in some of the huge discussions, I've been like, oh, I'm going to lock that door. Thank God I've got six dogs. Uh-huh. You know? <laughs> Yeah, well, just know most of those guys, they're they're not going to act on it. People aren't flying all over the country to perpetrate violence on each other over a Facebook post. They're just blowing off. I hope not. I sure hope not. Let's shift gears (laughs) because I want to get to the many, many awesome things you do and not get too bogged down in the political. I was doing a little bit of um, background research on your childhood online, and I was reading about your parents, and your dad Mm -hmm. is a university professor, very cultured. Taught you a lot about yep. poetry, was very creative. On the yep. other end of the spectrum, your mom was very disciplined, and she was, I believe, a sergeant major in the Israeli army. Is that correct? Mommy, were you a sergeant major in the Israeli army? Huh? Were you a sergeant major in the Israeli army? No. Yeah. No? No. What? No, Mom, she's going to change the story now. What were you in the Israeli army, Mama? Oh, Justice Sergeant. (laughs) The truth comes out now. I might have added the major part because that's how I felt about growing up around her. She was a big disciplinarian when I was when I was a child. Yeah, so she was a disciplinarian, and I was interested in knowing how that contrast because that's a huge contrast. It sounds like how that contrast of discipline versus like pretty open creativity. How that formed you as a person and prepared you for a life in the arts because it seems like you kind of need both, right? Oh yeah, no, absolutely, and and don't mistake it for the fact. My father was not a disciplinarian by any means. He definitely wasn't. He was, you know, he was a, he he was sort of in his head. He he sort of enjoyed the children because you know, as that in those days, that's how it went. But my mother was a highly creative person. She, however, uh, really wanted her children to become independent at a very early age. She wanted us to have to be empowered. So that was a huge part of her, uh, of my upbringing, but she also was very creatively encouraging. It's just that she was more of an encourager. My father was really, I would say what we, at the time I would say he was the artist, but she was, she was definitely artistically bent, but, uh, she sort of let my father lead in that way but yeah you absolutely need both you absolutely i was just and i imagine that discipline had a lot to do with how you approached your career everything especially in those early it days. has everything to do with it yeah i mean i was just talking to my nephew who signed to a uh alexa records and uh, a band right called shelters and yeah and he was uh, playing the drums he started playing i bought him his first drum kit he started playing at the age of five and he used to bang on those drums and still does at least five hours a day there was a point in time where he was just dabbling with them. And my sister said to him, she said, you know, if you play like 15 minutes a day, you're never going to make drumming a career. You're not going to get anywhere like that. And she said, that's all it took to tell him. And uh, from then on. And so he's, he, he's got a wonderful career as a drummer. He's very successful. But we were talking about it the other day, how much discipline is such a huge part of that. Like discipline brings luck to you, you know. I cannot agree go, oh, more. You got lucky, but yeah, yeah. And I always get angry when a picture is painted. And you know, uh, five years ago, I didn't really know anybody in the entertainment industry outside of a few bands I met and worked with when I was in a band, and that was really lower tier punk rock stuff. And it really uh-huh. makes me angry now that I know so many great people in the industry. When I hear people outside the industry go. Like, you guys are just hanging out at cocktail parties every day and not putting any actual work in. And I always tell people, it's too, I wouldn't, they're like, well, why don't you go into acting now, Nick? You know enough people. I'm like, I don't want to work that hard. You guys don't think so, but they work their asses off to perfect. I mean, if I put this much work in just to get on the mic and interview people, I can't even imagine the work you're putting in, especially your stage work to do your clown work. I can't even imagine the hours dedicated to that. Yeah, I mean it's a passion. 
you know, it has to be a passion. And then, and then there are the days where you have to do things that you don't want to do because you know that the end result is going to be good. And I think right. that, that has to do with discipline, you know, because a lot of people will give up when it does, when it's uncomfortable and you just have to go, even when it's uncomfortable, you have to go and you have to just forge forward. And I guess that's the difference between being successful, not being successful is being able to roll with the punches and take a certain amount of rejection and still keep your vision, you know, grinding yeah, it out. It's sure. like my English professor used to say about, you know, we never wanted to like cite references and do all that stuff, all that menial stuff. And it, he, you know, she was like, you got to take out the garbage. I know it sucks to have to sit That's in and right. cite all these references, but you've got to take out the garbage. That's so true. Exactly. You got to do the the stuff that you don't want to do and the stuff that you want to do. That's absolutely nothing comes without its cost, you know? Yeah, for sure. And I just wish people would understand. I hope one of the things the show does is when people listen to it and maybe it's somebody happens to listen to it, although I don't imagine how long they would stick around after hearing my voice, but they listen to it <laughs> and they go, wow, maybe they don't need to shut up and just act like I'm always screaming. Or maybe they're not just like a bunch of drunks or druggies up in the Hollywood Hills partying all the time. Maybe this is yeah. a craft. Maybe this is something that takes a lot of sacrifice and blood, sweat, and tears. And I hope that's oh, the yeah. way when I do these interviews that people hear it and understand the amount of commitment that goes into this. Oh yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. And forging through all of the, the personal self doubt and the, the questions and the, you know, it's it, acting is psychology. So you're, you're naturally navel gazing, you know, you're naturally looking into yourself and trying to figure out who you are so that you can, get to a place where you can make an honest character. So it's just, yeah, it's, it's kind of like eternal therapy. It never ends. <laughs> it is cathartic. Me being on the air is cathartic. Yeah. All right. Um, yeah. I don't want to yeah. spend a whole lot of time here because I know we all got stuff sure. to do. I want to move yeah. on to probably your most iconic role as playing mm-hmm. Sylvia in My Bloody Valentine. Yeah, who knew? Before we dig into who the knew that would be the thing? What? what? Exactly. Before we dig into this, I got to ask you this question because as I'm going through listening to interviews and I'm reading articles about you, a lot of times Mm -hmm. you have been framed as Ellen Udy scream queen. And, but when I think of that term, I think of like our friend Deborah Lamb, she does almost exclusively horror movies. So I'm like, yeah, she's a scream queen. You, however, cross so many different genres from film to theater to clowning and all these different things pretty equally do you embrace that term screen queen and do you consider yourself a screen queen? Cause I, I feel like that's something that should be for people who just do that genre exclusively. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, that title has brought me lots of work. I was actually just talking to my mother about this, uh, today. Um, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just grateful. And I was talking to somebody else. It's funny. You forge forward and the door opens behind you. I don't think, as a child, I never watched horror movies. I don't watch that many now. Although, no, that's not true. Now, because of Netflix, I do watch a lot more. Right, I do yeah, watch them often because I'm into sci-fi and I'm into sort of horror and I'm into sort of, you know, uh, end of the world stuff. I, I love all those end of the world movies and TV series and stuff. I'm watching The Rain right now. It's Okay. And the best thing about um, Netflix is when you watch a cheesy horror movie, like I was telling D, we watched like Sharknado 3 on Netflix. And as I was watching, I was like, I wonder what my suggested movies will be after I'm done <laughs> watching Sharknado. I can't even yeah. imagine what it's going to suggest <laughs> to me after I watch this cheesy Sharknado movie. But I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> That's it. Well, yeah, Netflix opens up a whole new world. But the the thing is, is that I'm I feel really lucky to be a screen queen. You know, I mean, it's brought me a lot of wonderful stuff, and I find that horror fans are so there's no other fan in the world that is like a horror fan. For some reason, they're the nicest people in the world. You'd think they'd all be axe murderers, but they're always so nice. They're sweet, and they're generous and they're really you know excited to know me and it's funny because i was on a television series for uh five seasons dr quinn medicine woman and to date nobody has ever asked me well that's not true i've gotten a couple of letters and stuff i've gotten requests for from myra but uh, more often than not i get requests for sylvia 
in my bloody Valentine, uh, you know, I get recognized for her. And so, yeah, I mean, horror fans have really contributed a lot to my life. So I'm very, very grateful. And I'm also really proud of that movie. I didn't know it at the time. I didn't know who I was dealing with, but you know, when I see that movie, I did one other movie with the director, George Mahalka. He, he was a visionary. He had a very clear vision of this little town in Canada that he created and he was very true to it and it was very Canadian in a lot of ways. You know, he really kept the Canada in there and uh, so much humor in there too, like visual humor, inside jokes. Um, and I, I, I'm really admiring of his, of his talent. And so it's really a pleasure to think that I was in that movie because when I was actually doing that movie, I was only 16 years old. I had absolutely no idea. It was oh, you were only movie. 16. I thought you would have to be like 18 to be in a role like that. No, well, no, 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 no. Um, not, no, there's no, why? Because I get killed. Yeah, just because no. of the brutality. I ruined it for everybody. No, no, no. And so it was only my second movie. Um, it was my second professional job. And my whole world view of what my career was going to be and all of that was very different from what it is now. So I look back in retrospect and I think it was a real stroke of luck that I ended up in that movie. And uh, made lifetime, lifelong friends out of all of the actors and the director. You know, it was kind of like that the high school prom. We all went. We, you know, we we just we're just thick as, you know, we're, we're blood brothers till to, to, till the end. You know, so that movie contributed to me in such a such a various numbers of ways, but. Yeah, I mean, I imagine it's got to be very bonding with the cast, especially since you guys come back every few years and do cons together and panels together. Yeah, yeah. We were all kids in that movie. You know, we were all kids doing that movie. So, you know, when you're kids, you can bond really quickly. You don't have that many walls up. So, yeah. In fact, I was just talking to Lori Hallier this morning. I talked to her, you know, at least twice a year. But she just called me this morning of all times. She had no idea that I was going to be doing this radio interview. But, yeah. So she was a lead in my bloody Valentine. So we're still very, Absolutely. very close. Yeah. Well, here yeah. was my takeaways from it. And I went back and watched this movie. I found it on the Roku box. And I went back and watched it. I hadn't seen it since I was a kid. And let me tell you a couple of the takeaways I had. One, yeah. I love every night I go to sleep watching an old sitcom. Welcome back, Carter. I've got them all on DVD. WKRP, Soap, Odd Couple. And I got the same mm-hmm. vibe. Even though I was alive in 1980, I think I was like nine years mm-hmm. old. In 1980, even though I was alive, it was weird Mm -hmm. for me to go back and just see how much has changed. The hairstyles, the clothing, just the dialogue, the way the men talk to women. Just everything has changed so much. And it really, that movie does a great job. I will say this, like the most resounding thing about that movie, it it does a great job as kind of like a period piece of bringing you into that moment. Yeah. And I don't know if that was yes. intent when it was made, but I actually was like, wow, kind of taken back to 1980 and high school kids and how it was. I really think that that was a masterful stroke on George Mahalka's part. I don't think that that's incidental because I did a movie called Pinball Summer with George Mahalka. And that one harkens back to uh, the the late fifties, early sixties. And that was very deliberate as well. Um, and, and, you know, he refers to comic strips that were popular and, you know, he, no, he was a smart man. So, so he, he had a vision and <clears throat> it's lasted sort of like, cause it is this sort of time capsule, but I think it was quite deliberate. I think it, it was, um, yeah, he knew what he was doing. He's a really, really good director. And this is why people love Stranger Things, because Stranger Things takes you back to that era. But, of course, because it's made today, it's not authentic. But when you watch My Bloody right. Valentine, it is authentic. So you get that is, same yeah. sense like that, that the magic gets <laughs> captured for the people that are watching Stranger Things now and going, oh, look, it's a Dig Dug machine. I remember a Dig Dug. I remember cassette headphones and playing like Loverboy. And it just takes you back right. to that moment. And I think that's an like an right. incredible and an amazing thing. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. And on that level, I mean, obviously, how could you predict what the future was going to be and how things were going to be relevant? But I think that what George did do is that he captured that small town. He captured the beauty of Nova Scotia, that little mining town. He he captured that. He knew that that was going to be a time capsule. You know what I mean? Like, but he might not have known that cassette players were going to, you know, so he didn't, he, you know, he's not a soothsayer, but, <laughs> uh, yeah. but I agree with, I agree with you though. It really is. It really is just fun to watch. Cause, because right, well, let me tell you a couple there. other little fun things. I noticed one thing right. I forgot about product placement. I'm watching this movie and I'm like, man, yeah. Moosehead beer must've put yeah. like a bundle <laughs> to put like everything in that movie was Moosehead beer. And I was like, totally. I, I remember that. And then like the town just seemed like they had an obsession with Valentine's day. And the last thing I was thinking all through the movie, every time someone got killed and this is kind of the asshole in me, the whole time I was thinking, man, I wonder how much these hardcore NRA guys are like watching movies like this going, if they had their gun, if they had their gun, uh, pickaxes don't kill people, homicidal maniacs with pickaxes. Like, that's all I could think to the whole thing is like some outraged like NRA dude screaming, if you had your gun, Missy, this wouldn't have happened to you. Oh my you God. Canadians. Yeah, you Canadian. <laughs> All right, let me move on to this last point, and then I want to hit clown, and then I got to let you go. Um, sure. When you watch yourself, especially when the movie first came out at a young age, when you watch yourself die on screen in such a brutal way, is it disturbing mm. to you, or do you only see the character up there on the screen, and you don't relate it to yourself at all when you're watching as a third party after the fact? Mm. Well... That is a really complicated because two things are happening at once. Uh, you're, I would, you know, one, I tend to watch myself first of all to see if technically I succeeded in being believable. You know, I, I remember, of course, I remember setting up the shot and I'm always interested in how, how it looks on film and how it occurred and how it was edited together. Um, but at that age, I was a real method actress. Oh my goodness. I drove everybody on set crazy because I really wanted to feel terrified. <laughs> so I was like trying to find ways to terrify myself so that the screens were real. And I really, really wanted it to be honest and true. And so that was the thing that I was looking for, whether I believed myself objectively. Um, and then, and then, you know, with a little bit of distance, I can then look at the movie the way I do today and appreciate the movie as if I hadn't been in it. And then I'm always odd. I'm like, oh my goodness, this was a work of art. <laughs> uh, I just love that movie. I just think it's just for, for a horror movie, it's just an amazing, I don't know, I just love the flavor. I love the colors. I, I love everything about it. And so then I become detached from myself and I'm kind of like shocked by me. Like I want my, uh, you know, I want my signature. Like I would, I would go uh -huh. up anywhere there. I have to see, I have to get your signature. I sort of am in disbelief that I'm in the movie, you know? So know sometimes with work. Yeah. So it, it, it's kind of a twofold thing when, when it's too close then I'm just looking at it one way and then, Years later, I just look at it as if, as if, like a fan. I look at it like a fan, and I, I love it the way everybody else does. Well, yeah. here's what I'm trying to get at. My buddy Kevin went and started working at a cemetery, and he worked there for about six months, burying bodies. He had a lot of work with the bodies, you know, after they're dead. Uh -huh. And he had to quit. And I asked him why he had to quit. He said, I started being able, like when I saw my friends, I would automatically picture what they would look like dead. And it fucked with oh, my head wow. too much, and I couldn't do wow. it anymore. And I was just wondering, when you see yourself on screen dying in a brutal way, do you actually see yourself or your character? Do you see yourself and go, oh, my God, that's what I would look like? If I no, I don't. And I've died a couple of times. I right. do not so that see doesn't myself. have that kind of effect yeah. on you, psychological. Benefit. No, 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 it doesn't. Thank goodness. I wouldn't be able to do it if it did. No, I mean, here's the thing, you know, I abhor violence and yet I'm in some pretty violent movies, but I would never be in a Saw movie. I can say that wholeheartedly. There, well, you know, I do have more. a certain moral that's boundary. Funny. Yeah, there, but but I like the kind of I'm doing a lot of old fashioned horror type movies now where you just know it didn't really happen, you know. But the super super real horror movies, like a hundred 
can't remember, like 100 Clowns or something. I was, I was offered something, and it was just, I, I couldn't watch it. It, 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 it frightened me to put that kind of material out in the world because I kind of believe in karmic sort oh, of <clears throat> karmic rollback. So, that way, yeah. Yeah, That's no, I do point. think of it that way. Yeah, yeah, so I don't do movies where where I feel that <clears throat> I have karma invested and it's not gonna it's not gonna be a good thing for the world. So, you know, I do I do funny like my bloody Valentine. I do a lot of just either they're really artistic or they're really funny or they're redeemable in some way. You know, well, that was a tongue and cheek movie, violent. like Alice Cooper type. Violent. Yeah, very very. And you know, when I was because I was only like I said I was a child when I was doing it and I really didn't have any I had a very myopic view it was just all about me because <laughs> when you're a young actor that's what you that's what you're focused on but uh no but yeah the comedy George 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 has a great sense of humor yeah so when you the go in the other direction when you're not playing a victim but you're playing somebody totally abhorrent like let's take like a Katie Berg type character is yeah. that hard to shake after the fact? Are you pretty good about separating yourself emotionally after playing a role like that? Or is that something that's really taxing on you and draining as an artist? That is interesting because I've totally forgot about Katie Bird. Katie Bird was an extremely violent movie. Right. And I was at a very dark place in my life. I feel like I drew that movie to me. I was in a very unhealthy relationship at the time. And uh, I drew that movie to me. And that is a movie that I cannot stand to watch. It's a really good movie. But I am awful in that. I mean, not, yeah, the character is just horrifying in that movie. But also, but did it haunt you also, after you got off set? It, haunts, it does haunt me. It does haunt me when I see that movie. And I can't tell if it's because of the movie or because it's associated with a very dark period of my life and they coincide, they kind of blend and they meld. I mean, not that I would ever be that violent with somebody, but I was in a very dark place and the movie's about a very dark subject matter and a very desperate person who loses her mind and, and feels that vengeance is, you know, <clears throat> the way to go and certainly exacts that vengeance in a really, really blood curdling way. I I couldn't do a movie like that now. Now that I'm now that I'm healthier, uh -huh. more emotionally aware and stuff. No, that was irresponsible on my part. Really, yeah, I, I think that was irresponsible. I always wonder when somebody has to invest and commit. I remember, and I can't remember her name right now, but there was a woman who played the same character on a soap opera. She actually started when the soap opera, I think it was like As the World Turns. She actually started on the radio. She had been on the show so long. And she wow. went all the way until she passed away in her 90s as the same character. And I, if wow. I was like, man, if I ever met her or talked to her, the first thing I was ask her is, you've spent more of your life or a good portion of your life playing this character. How do you separate yourself from that after playing the same character for 50 or 60 years? That's got to be incredibly difficult. It, well, you know what? And that is true. It's, very, it's kind of wonderful. Like when I think of Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman, that character had a beautiful life. She had a she, she, you know, she, she, she was a wonderful character and I just was really grateful to play that character for a number of years. And when people ask me that question, I say, and I really think this is true, like I've never been married, but Myra was married right? and she was married to a lovely guy who loved her a lot. And your, your brain cannot really tell the difference between dream and reality. So some part of me feels very fond of those days when I was married to Horace. <laughs> you I know, yeah, that. yeah, absolutely. Especially when it's a character, in my case, that you love. Yeah, it, 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 there is, in some place, there is no separation, which is why you need to be careful about what you do. Because when you open a door, you discover something, you know, it's all you. So I would say Katie Bird I discovered a really, really dark side to myself. And of course, in playing a dark character like that, you, you justify it, right? She had her reasons. She had her justifications. Um, but yes, there's, there's evil in all of us for sure. You know? so, when so you, you have play, to be careful. When you play like Myra being on Dr. Quinn and you do that for so yeah. long and feel that connection and then that show goes off yeah. the air, that show ceases to exist. Do you feel a certain yeah. kind of mourning as if a person you oh, love passed yes. away? Oh, yeah. I mean, I still miss Myra. 
Sure. Fans, wow. fans ask me that all the time. That's intense. She, that character actually taught me a lot. And, you know, that character was the best person I myself could ever be. She had every good intention. She was brave. She she was just a beautiful, beautiful So she inspired you in real life then? She inspired me in real life for sure. For sure she did. That yeah. Oh incredible. gosh, I'm getting teary just talking about it. <laughs> no, this is the good stuff. Yeah, this I love that character. Me. I like hearing this stuff. All right, yeah. we have to get out of here. I want to finish up with your clowning work though, because that is the sure. thing that caught my eye first about you when you came across oh, the feed. Um, well, I there's another to... suggestion. There's another yeah, yeah. instance of I play uh, Gretel is, is uh, in love with her co-host Herman, and uh, she uh, she adores him. And uh, Jason and I have a very strong relationship off stage, but when we're on stage, we're Gretel and Herman, and it's just it's bliss. It's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, and it that. Is. And that is that's the passion that keeps things going. And I'm watching this video, the violin, and you're not yeah. speaking in it. You're just expressing yourself through body language and facial expression. And you said so yeah. much without even uttering a word. And I'm thinking <laughs> the whole time, like, that's got to be, and maybe I'm misspeaking here, but when I'm watching, I'm like, man, that has got to be more challenging and also more creatively fulfilling than doing film. Am I off base there? Because it seems like you <clears throat> get more fulfillment out of that. Well, I mean, I love film, and I'm, I'm never going to say, say, say no to that because it's got, it's got, it definitely has my heart in a certain way. But comedy uh, uses the left and the right side of the brain. It uses the heart and the soul and the mind. It uses math. It uses, it uses, it is complicated, at least for somebody like me, do that it, it doesn't come naturally to. I mean, I am still in classes. I take at least two classes a month that are comedy-based classes because it is confounding. Um, and so, yes, that requires a lot of focus. Like that particular sketch that I put together I have to study before I do it again. I can't just do it. But is it more fulfilling than a film then? Because there's just so much passion and effort that goes into it. It is a different kind of fulfillment. Gotcha. It is kind of like, for me, comedy is like running a marathon. You're like, oh my God, am I going to make it to the end? And then you make it to the right. end, you're like, I did it. You know, and so there's that, you know, it's a constant challenge. It's a constant challenge. It's, I never get on stage, except in Boss's Stuff, where I'm the host and, you know, everything, every, everything is, is, I'm not working for anybody but myself, but if I go on somebody else's comedy show or I have to do a sketch, I am my, I'm always in a panic. I'm always sweating these before I get on that stage. And I'm always freaked out about whether, because laughter, you either get it or you don't. <laughs> there is no hiding from it. You know, people think it's funny or they don't. So it is, it is very, very challenging and I love it, but it is, it's, comparing apples and oranges so it's two very different things i agree and i mean i think if i ever went into acting i would have to do drama i wouldn't be able to do comedy because i don't feel like i'd be able to put myself out there like that and i just try to yeah. imagine like what if christopher walken or anthony hopkins tried to start in comedy and i think the reason they're so funny when you see them on like saturday night live or something is yeah. because you know them as this very like a john malkovich too like a very stoic type of proper ben Ken kingsley people like that you just don't right. think of them in that nature. And then they're so out of character when they do it. I think they're able to pull off comedy in a way somebody who kind of started out that way can't. And I think it's right, because right, you right. Have so they're, they're bringing up. their history with them. Yeah. Right. They're bringing, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so that's amazing to me. All right. I got to wrap this up. Before I do, though, um, that was such a you pleasure. Have Thank so you so much. much coming up on your yeah. IMDb. Um, I was looking through, I mean, you just have so, you have like six different movies slated for 2018, 2019. The one yeah. that caught my eye the most, and we could kind mm. of touch on this real quick because I thought the premise was so bizarre, is Last mm -hmm. Village on the Right. What, what do you oh. to tell us about that? Oh my goodness. That was using all my skills at once. <laughs> I bet. That was like being in a Monty, horror, a Mon Monty Python horror film. It was amazing shooting that movie. That is an incredibly talented director, James Crow. Um, 
he he called me and he said, you know, I, I, I've got, you know, I'd love for you to come and do it. And I said, well, can I read the script? And he goes, well, there is no script, really. And I go, oh, well, what, how can I base my opinion on anything? So he wrote me up sort of a little story idea, you know, where, where he's kind of going with it and stuff. Um, and I looked at his work. He had a couple of, of YouTube videos. And it was just hysterical. He's got an incredible sense of humor and an amazing sense of the bizarre. He's just got his finger on some kind of pulse. So I went there without a script. I would never do such a thing. <laughs> and sort of left myself in his hands and just followed his direction. And it turned out to be one of the most amazing experiences of my life. It is going to be an extremely funny horror movie. Like you will... You, you'll you'll just be hit by all ends, and it, it was just it was just so much fun to do. And that's what it um, takes to I, get I don't me know if interested it's in British people. I'm sorry? too. I said that's what it takes me to get interested in because I'm not a big horror guy myself. I don't watch a whole lot of horror movies, but I do like right. Dale and Tucker fight evil with um, Tyler Labine. I thought that was an excellent movie. I like movies mm-hmm. like that. As I'm going through your IMDb and looking at everything coming up, I was like, whoa, whoa, the Last Village on the Right. Now this sounds like something I could get into. Oh yeah, I mean, I, I mean. I hope everybody gets an opportunity to see it because really, I mean, I don't know. It sounds crazy. I really do think George Mahalka is a genius and I really do think James Crow is a genius. And I, I think I've, I think I've been lucky enough to work with a couple of geniuses. Oh my gosh. I'm blanking on his name right now, but, but the director of Vampire is also an absolute genius. Oh my gosh. Troy Escamilla is incredibly talented and he's putting up really fantastic movies and then i'm really lucky i work with david dakota all the time and he's a master so i feel like i'm you know i'm i'm lucky enough to be really really proud of and grateful to especially david dakota he is like i think in years to come he's going to have been the uh he's going to be iconic he's going to be the the person that we refer to because he has just changed the industry the way he is mastered the independent movie scene and how he's grown from it and stuff is just amazing. So yeah, I feel like, I feel like uh, I've been lucky enough to just partake in, in uh, cinematic history with a lot of the people that I've worked with. And uh, um, I, I, you know, so I don't know. I'm really excited. About, so you, <laughs> about, so you would say things. end of the day, if it all ended today, you set out to do what a uh, young Ellen Udy set out to do, right? Right. You, you've slayed all your dragons, cat, like conquered all your kingdoms. You you have done it. Oh well, it, it it never gets done because as everybody knows, like when you when you you know you get addicted, and there's always more, and there's always a new person, and there's always a greater idea, and there's always a you know. But I I mean, if I was to die tomorrow, I would feel like I I think the thing that 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 I feel good about is that I. My father painted his last painting maybe seven days before he died. And oh, I, wow. And I Did he know he was always, going to die? Was he, like, fighting cancer or something like that at that time? Uh, well, he may not have known he was going to die in seven days, but he was not feeling well at all. Gotcha. Um, but he, he persevered to the end because he, that was his medium, and he had a communication and he needed to put it down and he didn't stop. And so if I were to die tomorrow, I would feel proud that I had walked in his shoes in that way. Uh, you, you know, you, you know, you're so lucky to be alive and not living in a war tone war zone. Yeah. Nothing yep. to complain about. So I try to make, I just try to squeeze every second out of my life. And if so long as I'm doing that and I'm not giving up and I'm growing and I'm learning, um, I'm pretty, I'm, I'm, I'm really, I'm really, I'm having a great life. I cannot complain. <laughs> I, I think that is a beautiful place to end. Um, Ellen, I want to thank you so much for spending well, almost 45 minutes with us on this beautiful Sunday. Oh, such a pleasure. Thanks so much for asking me. Really, really a pleasure. And please, before you leave, tell everybody where we can find you on the interwebs and what you have coming up this summer. Oh my goodness. What do I have coming up this summer? Well, oh. Is it Jackson Ward? I think it's Jackson Ward. I'm doing another movie with him. Uh, I think I have another movie slated with David Dakota. Um, if you're ever in Los Angeles, and in October, there's a My Bloody Valentine uh, reunion 
Mm, gosh, I can't remember where it's 35 be. years now. How many years? Has it I been? don't count. You can't. I'm not sure. Actually, was it 1977 80, or 89? Yeah, might might be. I, I I I don't I don't retain like specific information like that. But it it's been a long time. We're very old now. <laughs> Some of us that don't dye our hair have gray hair, um, <laughs> or have lost our hair altogether. Um, so I have that, and also if you're ever in Los Angeles, just just look up Vasistas, which is spelled W-A-S, and then further away I-S-T, and then further away D-A-S. Um, look it up on Facebook and find out where our next show is, because we do at least one show a month, and uh, that is, you know, that uh, that's my that's my focus on a weekly basis because we're always in rehearsal and always creating new shows for that so Very that is cool. ongoing yeah and we'll have yeah. to have you back this summer because i didn't even get to touch on rehab which i thought that rehab the musical had an amazing story oh yeah deep space nine and there's so much more to talk to you about so we'll have you back uh, this summer. we have much all right, more I love to it. delve into all right oh, thank yeah. you again for calling in today ellen and d are I you ready fair. to get us out of here what's up